You are now listening to Mark's Unexplained World by Mark the Medium from Hinkley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about the Manises UFO incident. Over to you, Mark. It all started back on the 11th of November in 1979 when the TAE Caravella plane flight number TAE 297 carrying 109 passengers started making its way on the Austria Tenerife route that took off from its stopover in Palma del Mallorca or Mallorca. It was at that time that a strange radio signal began to be received on a channel that was built for SOS signals only. What was also strange about this incoming transmission was that the signal did not correspond to any Morse code that was used at that time. Given the strangeness of this signal, the flight, sorry, the flight pilot then contacted the control tower who confirmed that the Madrid Alert and Rescue Service was also receiving this strange signal. The strange transmission was coming from 40 miles to the northwest of Valencia, a point that was situated in the middle of the flight path of the aforementioned TAE Supercaravella. This unidentified signal forced the commercial aircraft to the TAE company to make an emergency landing, which in turn forced the Spanish Air Force to intercept the area with a Mirage F-1 jet. Greetings Unexplainers. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening to the podcast's answer to alien abduction, namely Mark's Unexplained World. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium, a ufologist, and a man who views watching Last of the Summer Wine and the Saw films in the same casual manner. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the strange story of the Manisys UFO incident. And this week's necessary disclaimer. As with all my podcasts, You listen at your own discretion, with all opinions and comments being strictly my own. However, the facts still always remain. I also apologise if I pronounce anything incorrectly. I know it is hard to believe that English is my first and only language. In fact, here is a fun fact about the English language. Did you know that there are only two words in the English language that have two U's together? I could hear the cogs turning. What are they, you ask? They are vacuum and sheep. Think about it. But anyway, let's get back to the story, shall we? According to Wikipedia, TAE, which stands for Trabajé, Aerosy, 
Englacius SA, I think that's right, was an airline based in Spain that operated from 1967 until 1981. It was actually founded by it, sorry, I'll do that one again. It was actually founded in the March of 1966 in Belbeo and began operations in 1967. TAE was actually set up back in 1975. However, without backing, it did not begin flight operations until 10 years later, in the April of 1967, 13 months after it was originally set up. They had originally intended to operate an X-Air France L1049 Super Constellation craft in 1966, but for whatever reason, this was not taken up at the time. It wasn't until 1967 when the company actually acquired three DC-7s and commenced operations, and then in 1969 they acquired a BAC-111 aircraft to add to their fleet. However, in early 1970, due to an unfortunate financial loss, flights were temporarily suspended. It wasn't until three years later, in 1973, that operations were restarted and under new management. They leased two Douglas DC-8s. In 1975, an SE-210 Caravelle was acquired followed by a second Caravelle in 1976. In 1975, Air Spain ceased operations and TAE leased one further Douglas DC-820 to fill in the vacuum left behind in the charter market. In the year 1980, Spain went into an economic recession, and most of Western Europe and the fortunes of TAE began to decline. Another factor that also influenced the decline of TAE was the increased competition from other charter operators. That, and combined with the fact that TAE was operating an old DC-8, and the Caravelle aircrafts once again led to financial difficulties. So, in a repeated fashion, TAE ceased operations for the last time in November 1981 and was finally dissolved in 1982. So, Let's now look at the incident itself. It was on the 11th of November back in 1979 and the TAE Super Caravella Flight JK297 was the first aircraft involved in the reported incident. Flight JK297 had taken off from Salzburg in Austria with 109 passengers on board making its way to Las Palmas in the Canary Islands. En route, it had made a refuelling stop on the islands of Mallorca before setting off 
on its final leg of the course towards Las Palmas. Then suddenly, halfway through the flight, at about 2300 hours, the pilot, Francisco Javier Lodo de Trajada, a pilot with more than 14 years of experience, and his crew noticed a set of red lights that were fast approaching the aircraft. The crew were particularly alarmed because these lights appeared to be on a collision course with a Super Caravella Flight JK 297 aircraft. The captain immediately got on the radio to the control tower and requested information from them regarding these strange lights. Although the control tower could confirm that the Madrid Alert and Rescue Service was also receiving this strange signal that was coming from 40 miles to the northwest of Valencia, neither the military radar of Torrejón de Ardos in Madrid nor the flight control centre in Barcelona could provide any explanation as to what they were or what was causing them. In order to avoid a possible collision with this unidentified air phenomena, or UAP, the flight captain decided to change his altitude. However, strangely enough, the UAP copied the flight's new course heading but stayed about half a kilometre away from the plane. The UAP was violating all of the airline's flight safety rules and an evasive manoeuvre was deemed impossible by the crew. So the captain then decided to take the flight off course and make an emergency landing at Manassas Airport in Valencia. This was the first time in history in which a commercial flight was forced to make an emergency landing because of an unidentified flying object, or as we commonly call it, a UFO. The flight crew reported that the UAP abandoned the pursuit of flight JK297 just before the aircraft landing took place. However, before long, three new UAP signals were detected by the radar, with each one estimated to be a diameter of around 200 metres, and with these new objects being seen by several witnesses. One of the unidentified air phenomena, or UAPs, passed very close to Manis's airport runway, so it was decided that the emergency lights were to be lit up on the land crew, uh, sorry, by the land crew, just in case the object happened to be an unregistered flight experiencing difficulties and unable to make contact. After this first short break, in part two, we will look at further details of the UAPs and how the military got involved. This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. Find them online at www 
hauntedresearchcentre.com or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinkley, LE101AW. Open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over 16s only please unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only £3.99 to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre. Given the lack of any answers to all communication attempts, a Dassault Mirage F1 jet took off from the nearby airbase of Los Llanos in Albuquerque in an attempt to identify the phenomena. On an interesting side note here, the Dassault Mirage F1 is a French fighter and attack aircraft designed and manufactured by Dassault Aviation. It was developed as a successor to the popular Mirage 3 family. During the 1960s, Dassault commenced development of what would become the Mirage F1 as a private venture alongside the larger Mirage F2. Work on the F1 eventually took precedence over the costlier F2, which was then cancelled during the late 1960s. The French Air Force, Army de la Air, took interest in this new fledgling fighter in the hope that it would meet its requirements for an all-weather interceptor aircraft. It later transitioned to an aerial rec reconnaissance. Oh, reconnaissance. Reconnaissance. Sorry. It later transferred to an aerial reconnaissance role, and in July 2014, the last French Mirage F1s were retired from service. Pilot of the Mirage F1 Spanish Air Force Captain Fernando Camara had to increase his speed to Mach 0.4 just to be able to get close enough for visual contact. What with he <coughs> excuse me, what with what he perceived to be a truncated cone shape, displaying a changing bright colour. However, despite the flight captions, sorry, despite Oh dear. <clears throat> However, despite the flight captain's initial reports to make some sort of contact with the unidentified flying object, the UAP quickly and without warning disappeared and completely from sight. 
the F-1 pilot was informed of a new radar echo from the nearby airbase of Los Lenos in Albuquerque, which indicated that another UAP had been located on the radar screen, but this time near Saganto in Valencia. But once again, when the F-1 pilot got close enough to the UAP to get good visual contact, again the object accelerated and disappeared. Although this time it appeared that the unidentified flying object seemed to actually be responding to the F-1 jet fighter. The UAP appeared to be scrambling the F-1's avionics, but not only that, its electronic flight systems were also jammed and the onboard alert system in the F-1 jet fighter warned Captain Camaro that he was being locked on by a continuous wave missile radar. Finally, and after a third contact attempt, the UAPs all disappeared, heading off towards the direction of Africa. After about an hour and a half of pursuit by the F-1 jet fighter, due to fuel shortage, the pilot, Captain Kamara, was forced to return to the base, but with no definitive results. The public impact of the Manassas UFO incident was such that by the September of 1980, it reached the Corte Generales, or the Spanish Parliament. The High Chamber representative, Enrico Mugica Herzog, publicly asked for an official explanation of the incident. However, the UFO sighting by flight JK297 had been dismissed, with the incident being attributed to a series of freak optical illusions. The full official report of the Manises UFO incident was actually declassified by the Spanish Air Force in the August of 1994. The report states that the Supercaravella JK297 pilot, Javier Seans de Chajada, the land crew in Manises Airport, and the Air Force Captain Fernando Camara might have been misled by, and I quote, flashes emitted from a distant chemical industry complex and some stars and planets. The chemical industry complex that they are talking about is actually located about 100 miles away from Manassas. The F-1 jet fighter, combat pilot Fernando Camara, rejected such a possibility saying, and I quote, the six feet was too far away, the, uh, and furthermore, the flight systems got jammed when I tried to block the UFO with an IR missile. An IR missile, or an infrared harming, uh, sorry, homing missile, is a passive weapon guidance system which uses the infrared or IR light emissions from a target to track and follow seamlessly. Missiles which use infrared-seeking technology are often referred to as heat-seekers, since infrared is radiated strongly by hot bodies. 
The aforementioned chemical industry complex, although it has been much debated as a cause, has also been repeatedly rejected by everyone involved. It also stands as the only non-UFO related explanation. So, no weather balloons then. Strangely enough, the on-flight difficulties experienced by the F-1 jet fighter, Spanish Air Force Captain Fernando Camara, were not mentioned anywhere in the public report. The electronic system failure on board the Mirage F-1 could nevertheless be explained by the fact that the United States 6th Fleet was stationed in the area and was making use of powerful electronic warfare equipment while awaiting the outcome of the ongoing Iran hostage crisis. Remember, this was back in the late 1970s. So on another interesting side note here, the Iran hostage crisis was a diplomatic standoff between the United States and Iran. 52 American diplomats and citizens were being held hostage after a group of militarized Iranian college students belonging to the Muslim student followers of the Imam's line and who supported the Iranian revolution took over the US embassy in Tehran and took everyone inside as hostages. The hostages were held for a total of 444 days from the 4th of November 1979 to their final release on the 20th of January 1981. The crisis is considered a pivotal episode in the history of Iran and United States relations. And the United States Sixth Fleet is a numbered fleet of the United States Navy operating as part of the United States Naval Force in Europe and Africa. The Sixth Fleet is headquartered as the Naval Support Activity Center in Naples, Italy. The official stated mission of the Sixth Fleet in 2011 is stated that, and I quote, conducts the full range of maritime operations and theater security cooperation missions in concert with coalition, joint, interagency and other parties in order to advance security and stability in Europe and Africa. The current commander of the Sixth Fleet, as of the writing of this show, is Vice Admiral Thomas E. Ishii. After this second short break, in part three, we will look at a brief history of the phenomena around unidentified flying objects and another Spanish UFO case. Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public, pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests, offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation only events. They can also host private events 
for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07 852 998 628 or email them at office at frightnights.co.uk or take a look at their website at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters join Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? Why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future? They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights Ghost Hunting Events Remember, only the original will do. Okay, so, unidentified flying objects, also known as UFOs, unidentified anomalous phenomena, unidentified air phenomena, and UAPs. It's, it is any perceived aerial phenomena that cannot be immediately identified or explained. On most investigations following thorough examinations, you will find that most UFOs are actually identified as known objects or atmospheric phenomena, while a small number do in fact remain unexplained. People People have looked at the sky and have sometimes seen what to some appears to be unusual sightings, including phenomena that can be as varied as comets, bright meteors, one or more of the five planets that can be readily seen with the naked eye, planetary conjunctions and atmospheric optical phenomena such as parhelia and lenticular clouds. What? I hear you ask. So. On an interesting side note, a parhelia, sun dog, mock sun, or a parhelion in meteorology is described as an atmospheric optical phenomena that consists of a bright spot to one or both sides of the sun. One example of known objects is Halley's Comet, which was first recorded by Chinese astronomers in 240 BC and possibly as early as 467 BC, as a strange and unknown guest light in the sky. As a bright comet that visits the inner solar system every 76 years, Halley's Comet was often identified as a unique, isolated event in ancient historical documents, whose authors were totally unaware that it was a repeating phenomena. While unusual sightings have been reported in the skies throughout history, unidentified flying objects became culturally prominent after World War II, escalating even further during the Space Age. Studies and investigations into UFO reports have been conducted by many governments over the years, including Project Blue Book in the United States and Project Condine in the United Kingdom as well as many other organisations and individuals. 
On an interesting side note, Project Blue Book was the codename, sorry, the code name for the systematic study of unidentified flying objects by the United States Air Force from March 1952 to the department's final termination on December 17, 1969. And Project Condine was a secret unidentified flying object study undertaken by the British government's Defence Intelligence Staff, or DIS, between 1997 and 2000. I have covered the history of Project Blue Book in episode 47 of Mark's Unexplained World, available on Spreaker.com, although I haven't done a history of Project Condine, mainly because I haven't written it yet. The results of Project Condine were compiled into a 400-page document that was titled Unidentified Aerial Phenomena in the UK Air Defence Region. The document drew on approximately 10,000 sightings and reports of UAPs that had been gathered in the UK. It was released into the public domain on the 15th of May 2006 after the uh, sorry, after the September 2000, 2005 Freedom of Information Act that was requested by UFO researchers David Clark and Gary Anthony. However, the identity of the report's author or authors has never been made public. The US government currently has two departments dedicated to UAP or UFOs, data collection and analysis. N, uh, they are the NASA, sorry, NASA's UAP Independent Study Team and the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. While some UFO enthusiasts have sometimes commented on the narrative similarities between certain religious symbols in medieval paintings and UFO reports, the canonical and symbolic character of such images is documented by art historians placing more conventional religious interpretations on such images. Scientists and skeptics, organisations such as the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry have provided prosaic explanations for these unidentified flying objects namely that they are caused by natural phenomena, human technology, delusions or even hoaxes. However, some small but vocal groups of ufologists favour the unconventional or the pseudo-scientific hypothesis, often claiming that unidentified flying objects are evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence, technologically advanced cryptids, interdimensional contact or even time travel. But even after decades of promotion of such ideas by its believers and more commonly in popular culture, the kind of evidence required to solidly support such a claim has not been, unfortunately, forthcoming. Another Spanish UFO case happened at dawn 
on the 12th of November in 1976, when two soldiers, José María Shrejo and Juan Carazosa Lujón, claimed to have seen and shot at a being of unknown origin at the airbase Aria de Talavera La Real, or to make it simpler to pronounce the Talavera La Real airbase. And to be honest, I don't know why I didn't just say that in the first place. It is located in the Spanish province of Barajos. Both soldiers were on patrol at 1.45am when they heard a noise that sounded similar to radio interference, which later turned into a deafening acute whistle. Five minutes later, when the acute whistle had ceased, they spotted an intense bright light in the sky that lasted for about 15 seconds. Soon, another guard arrived with his guard dog, and all three men began searching the surrounding area. Eventually, they heard the sound of eucalyptus twigs being broken, so the third guard dog... Sorry, <laughs> Oh dearie me. So the third guard eventually released his dog and it rushed to the place where the noise was coming from. But the dog returned looking very unwell. A process which was repeated a couple of times. Eventually the dog started to circle them. A technique that is regularly used to protect the guard dog's handler. One of the soldiers... Jose Maria Trejo then allegedly spotted a human-shaped green light off to his left. The being was said to be about three metres in height, approximately uh, nine feet, and was also said to be formed of small light points and that the brightness was more intense along its edges. Its head was said to be small and covered by something that resembled a helmet. The arms were very long and there were no apparent hands or visible feet. The same soldier, Jose Maria Trejo, then fainted, our hero. After which, his other two colleagues opened fire towards the creature. Around 40 to 50 bullets were fired directly at the entity. However, the being simply vanished from sight. While José María Trejo was being assisted towards the same acute whistling sound, was once heard again. I'm going to read that again because I think I've got that wrong. While José María Trejo was being assisted afterwards, the same acute whistling sound was heard once again. I've been ill this week, that's what I put it down to. <clears throat> the very next morning, a team of 50 soldiers searched the whole area inch by inch, but found no evidence of bullet casings or bullet holes. However, the Air Force eventually concluded that the soldiers did fire their guns at something. Spanish Army veteran Vincent Juan believes the soldiers suffered suffered nothing more than a hallucination which was strengthened by fear and confusion. But once again, no weather balloons. To be honest, when I came to research this episode about the Manassas UFO incident, there wasn't as much information about the event as I'd hoped there would be. 
And as I like to give my listeners at least a 30-minute listening experience, or pleasure, depending on your point of view, I decided to add in the brief history of the phenomena of UFOs in the final part. I hope it was of some interest to you. But the fun doesn't end here, with one last piece of UFO trivia before we finish this show. With the intense secrecy surrounding the secret Nevada base, known to most of us as the infamous Area 51, it has made it, has made it the frequent subject of many conspiracy theories and a central component of UFO folklore. In July 2019, more than two million people responded to a joke proposal to storm Area 51, which appeared in an anonymous Facebook post. Two music festivals in rural Nevada called Alien Stock and Storm Area 51 Base Camp was subsequently organised to capitalise on the popularity of the original Facebook event. However, no storm on Area 51 has ever happened, which, to be honest, is probably a good thing. Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World and hope you found it interesting. In our next episode, which is show 70, we are going to be looking at the strange death of David Glenn Lewis. It was on the night of the 1st of February, back in 1993, when motorists saw a man who was wandering on the highway near Rivard Road in the town of Moxie. They turned the car round to warn other drivers of his presence after passing him. But when they returned, they found that the man had been struck by another vehicle, which had left the scene. Typical hit and run. He was quickly pronounced dead when the ambulance arrived. However, he was not identified as David Glenn Lewis for another 11 years. How? and why the 39-year-old Lewis had travelled 1,606 miles from his home near Amarillo in Texas, where he was last confirmed to have been seen only around three days earlier, to end up in central Washington is not known. This show was written and researched by myself, Mark Hughes and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes and Denise Pula. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinckley. And a big thanks to everyone for listening. Mark's unexplained world. Because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember guys, keep it real. Because being real is better than being perfect. This show and all its contents are covered by the basic copyright of Mark the Medium. <laughs>